0: Alright, Joshua chapter 11 is where we're at. We're going to go through this chapter, and then kind of what I have in this message is kind of a uh, camp meeting type of a message you would preach. And I will probably preach out of this chapter again in the future, not here, but you know, this there's like a great conference type message that you can get from this chapter. And so uh, we're going to do uh, we're going to go through the chapter, teach the whole chapter, but then I'll probably kind of share a little bit of that message with you all. So, here we are in verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass, when Jabin, king of Hazor, had heard those things that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Aksaph, and to the kings that were on the north of the mountains, and on the plains south of Chinroth, and in the valley, and in the borders of Dor on the west, and to the Canaanite on the east, and on the west, and to the Amorite, and the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the mountains, and of the Hivite under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they went out, and all their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand that is upon the seashore, and multitude, with horses and chariots, very many. And when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. So, uh, sadly for the Canaanites, I guess, they were too hard-hearted to realize that This was of God and nothing can be done. We've already seen an alliance made in the last chapter when you had these, I think it was four or five kingdoms that came together and they said, you know what, we're going to go after the Gibeonites because Israel's just getting too strong. And they defeated Jericho, they defeated Ai, but if five of us kings, if we come together and then we go and take out the Gibeonites, that will at least weaken them. But you know what, it didn't matter. They wiped them out and then not only that, they just went and we went just read through, just city after city after city that they took. I mean, they were winning everything. But then these guys, they just get the idea, hey, nothing that any of these other kingdoms have done has worked. So you know what? Let's just try even more. Let's just double down on what they did. Let's get even more kings together. And then we'll finally beat them. And you know what this just reminds me? This is the thinking of reprobates. This is the way they think, I'm going to show you too, I've I've been saying this, I'm going to show you later in this chapter too, where I do, I believe that these nations were basically all reprobate and God wanted them, that's why God wanted them completely wiped out. God did not want anybody surviving, but these people, they've been warned, you know, the reprobate has been warned against sin, but you know what, they do it anyway. And you know, what happens, okay? You know, what happens with when sodomites get an STD? Do they change their lifestyle and Clean up their act? No, they just keep doing. You know what? What if you smite them with blindness? Does that stop them? No, they just keep doing the same thing. Why? Because God's hardening their heart. Because the goal is destruction. That's what is, and that's what God wanted to accomplish here. And this is why, you know, reprobates are so dangerous. They can't be fixed. They can't be satisfied. They're implacable, as the Bible says in Romans one. So, um, you know, here we see these kings just trying even harder, and it's going to fail, right? It's going to fail. They don't even think to beg for mercy. They don't think to call on God or anything like that. They just do the same thing everybody else is doing that wasn't working. Kind of reminds me of our government, too. I mean, what's our government solution for every problem? More spending. And then it doesn't work, does it? So then what do they do? Let's spend even more this time. You know, you would think after 20 years of us wasting trillions of dollars in Afghanistan, our nation would say, you know what, we need to stop fighting these wars in these Muslim countries and trying to, you know, spread democracy over there. But you know what they're probably going to do? They'll probably do it again, just in another nation this time. And you know what? Everybody's going to go along with it. It just shows the heart of these people that it's like, I don't think the people that are leading our country are... You know, it it almost appears that God's hardening their heart, setting us up for destruction. And if we're Babylon, (laughs) that's exactly what's going to happen. Because Babylon's going to be destroyed. So, and I do, I hope we're Babylon. I really do. Because again, we're out of here before we're destroyed. So that actually works for us. But anyway, that's another subject for another day. But in verse 6, it says, The Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid of them. For tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up, all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hoe their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua came, and all the people of war with him, against them by the waters of Merom, suddenly, and they fell upon them, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who smote them and chased them unto great Sidon, and unto Mam, unto the valley of Mizpah eastward, and they smote them until they left none remaining." And Joshua did unto them, as the Lord bade him, he hoed their horses and burnt their chariots with fire. And Joshua, at that time, turned back and took Hazor and smote the king thereof with the sword. For Hazor before time was the head of all those kingdoms, and they smote all the souls that were there, and with the edge of the sword utterly destroying them, there was not any left to breathe, and he burnt Hazor, with fire. So in reality, this would appear, this was their biggest victory that they've had yet at one time. Yet when we read it, it just seems like nothing. You know, we don't see any miracles mentioned like we saw in the previous chapter where the sun stands still. I mean, they just went and they just did it. They got it done. Why? Because God was with them. It appears they beat them very easily. And this is just a reminder. It's, it's God that wins battles. God was winning all these battles. And let me tell you why God was winning these battles. It's because they were obeying Him. They were doing exactly what God said. And it was kind of it's kind of like, you know, often we start things out good. You know, it's like the first day of school, you know, when you're homeschooling your kids. That's the day everything's organized. That's the day you do everything right. But then as time goes on, you kind of start slacking off and getting a little careless, don't you? You know, it's like, I mean, when, when you start a church, you're doing everything perfect, right? You know, and then... As time goes on, it's like, uh, you know, you start slacking off of things. But, you know, the beginning of everything, we're always ready to do everything right. But then we kind of slack off. And really in Israel's history, that's what we see. When they went into the promised land on their first leader, they were doing everything right. They are following God's commands. But then they did. They just started slacking off. And before you knew it, I mean, they were a huge, huge mess. You got to watch out for that. But um, verse 12 says, and all the cities of those kings and all the kings of them did Joshua take and smote them with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. So Joshua, just the, the command that they had was just whatever they were going to utterly destroy them. Now let me just say this too, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I think it's worth repeating. They never necessarily had the same method of attack on all these cities, did they? I mean, sometimes, you know, in Jericho, God told them to march around the city. They never did that again, did they? And I say all that to say, Israel's battles that they won. Sometimes God did miracles. Sometimes it was just them fighting and killing everybody. And you know what? At the end of the day, it was never about the method. It was always about the God. We've got to remember that, especially as IFB, okay? And I'm not a trendy. I'm not, in, I'm not looking for new ways to do things. But we don't want to be like these old path zombies that are just trying to figure out how to conjure up things from the past and do everything and make everything look exactly the way it did at one time somewhere else in another church. We can't do that. You know what we do need to do, though, is we need to follow God. And maybe the secret to the people of old, maybe the secret of the, to the success of the old timers, is maybe they had a walk with God. Maybe they knew how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And maybe when they did that first altar call, it was something that God led them to do that evening because it worked for that situation. But then somebody saw that, and instead of getting focused on the God that did a great work that day, they said, it must be the altar call. This is how they have to be done. Hashtag old paths, you know. And the thing is, you know, again, different situations call for different things. It's not about the method It's about the God, and what we've always got to do is figure out how to just get connected to the Holy Spirit, how to be obedient to God, how to follow his lead in these things. God always wants us depending on him, but we've got a lot of people today, they are, they're so focused on old paths, talking about old paths, talking about methods, and they're not talking about God. They're not making people fall in love with God, and I think that was a secret to the old timers, because you read about these old timers too, and you know what you find about all the old timers? They all have issues too, didn't they? Every one of them. I mean, good night in the new IFB. We've thrown pretty much every old timer that's ever existed in hell. I mean, at least at least somebody has. Pretty much every one. You know why is that? Because one of them said repent. You know, or, you know, or said they they termed something wrong. We found something in one of their writings that they did over the years. It's like you know, and sometimes people grow. Sometimes people change. But you know, we find one bit of evidence, and we just throw them in hell. But you know, the thing is. You look in these people, you know, you you look into these people. They did, they accomplished some great things for God. It wasn't about their method. It wasn't about their terminology. I believe it was about a walk with God. It was about a love for the Lord. It was about a following of the lead of the Holy Spirit. And if you study their lives too closely, you are you're going to find problems with them. But it's the same thing with the people in the Bible. When you study their lives, you see all kinds of problems with them. But you know what? Maybe... Maybe they started out with a great love for God. Maybe they were like David, who really did have a heart for God. He messed up later in his life, but does that take away his slaying of the giant? No, it doesn't. It doesn't take away those great things. Even King Saul. We all go after King Saul all the time, but did King Saul not do some great things for God? You better believe he did some great things for God. How about Solomon? Solomon did some wonderful things for God, but we could all get up and say some pretty bad things about Solomon. He would get reprobated for sure if you know we were around during his day when he's building a uh, high place to Ashtoreth the abomination of the Zidonians, i mean for sure he's getting reprobated and you're a reprobate if you don't agree on that but folks you know he, he, at the end, the thing is solomon when he started out man, he loved the lord when god said you can have whatever you want all he was worried about was the god's kingdom about god's people and he said lord i need you to give me a wise and understanding heart i mean he was a great man we and that and no matter what he did later that doesn't take away from all that good that he did and we we see this type of thing all the time where we're constantly going back to the past and we're like always just trying to copy things from people you know another thing too you see a lot in the Baptist world, you know, we like to talk about Baptist history and how Baptist doctrine's always been around. You'll talk about the Politicians, the Donatists, and all these different groups that had, you know, Baptist doctrine. And you know, and I'm not an expert when it comes to those things, but I'm seeing a lot of people too. They're always bringing up the fact that the Paulitians were a cult and that they had all these crazy beliefs. And it's like and I just want to stop sometimes and say, Wait, time out. Where did you get that history? Well, this is what the Catholics said about them. Okay, thank you. Because that's isn't that what they're saying about us today, too? You know, and I, I'm not a defender of those. I don't know that much about history. Maybe they were a cult. Maybe they ate babies. I don't know. Okay? I, I really don't know. It really doesn't matter. But I, I'll just say, you can always find something in history to go along with whatever you want. You can, you can do... there's It's easy to do that kind of thing. And we've got in the... Theological world, everybody's trying to fight over whose heroes were better. You know, was John Calvin better? You know, or you know, are we going to identify with Calvin and Luther and those guys? Are we going to identify with Obadiah Holmes and Trubal Stearns and all these guys? But then you'll have people bring up stuff about them, you know, and accuse them of all kinds of crazy beliefs. People on our side will accuse them of, you know, believing work salvation because they said repent or something like that. And it's just like, you know, what, you know, what do you, what do you do? You know what? At the end of the day, this generation has to get into the Bible. Our church, our generation, we have to see what God has to say from his word. Thankfully, he did preserve his word for us. And we can count on it. We can't always count on history. And I'm not looking to be, you know, to figure out who's got the better history and all that. I I, I enjoy reading some of that stuff. but at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything. We've got to figure out what God wants. We've got to figure out how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit ourselves. We have to figure out how to serve God the best way possible. We have to figure out, as a church, how to make Jesus Christ the head of the church and to follow his lead. We have to figure that out, and we can't just be copying off somebody that we pulled from history that we feel like is you know, credible and without rebuke. That's not how that works. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. That's what most people are trying to do today. You've got a lot of people that have left, leaving the IFB, and they're wanting to go back to some of these old catechisms and these old Baptist confessions of 1689 or whatever, because they're, they're, they're all trying to identify themselves with somebody in history. And then they try it, and then somebody comes along and says, I, I found some history about these guys, and then they don't know what to do. Folks, this generation has to figure out what we're supposed to do, and this is what we look to. This is what we follow. And keep that in mind, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But verse 12... Says in all the cities of those kings and all the kings of them did Joshua take and smote them with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. So Joshua so far has completely followed the Lord's instruction. The only mistakes we've seen so far was with Achan. And and think about this. okay So remember, we're talking about Israel as a nation right now. I'm not talking about an individual. I'm talking about Israel as a nation. Israel as a nation has been completely obedient with one exception of Achan who sinned, but Israel made that sin right that they committed as a nation when they killed him. When they stoned him like God wanted them to. And understand, when murder takes place, we sin as a nation. But you know what? We can fix that if we will shed their blood. If we will put them to death. If we, if, uh, as a nation, we are doing wrong When somebody steals, but we can make that right. If we'll make them repay fourfold, like the Bible says, we can make up for those things. So even though they had that hiccup there with Achan, Israel made it right. They are in complete and total obedience. We see when it came to the Gibeonites, they made a mistake. Okay. It was not a willful sin. They did not purposefully sin. They were deceived. They made a mistake. But, you know what we see in there? That God was merciful to them as a nation. And I think that's a very, that's a, that's a very comforting thing. And this is, this is just a reminder that with a great generation like this, okay, they were still sinners, and they were still in need of the mercy of God. And you know what? It was there for them. They, they had it. So verse 13 says, But as far as, as for the cities." This stood still in their strength. Israel burned none of them, save Hazar only. Uh, that did Joshua burn. So Hazar was the one who aligned all these kings to come together to fight against them. So whenever they went through and they defeated all these people, they wiped out that city. They burnt that city down to the ground, but the other cities, uh, these ones that were uh, strong, these ones they left. okay And they probably, what they probably did here is they probably kept them. For themselves. And that was okay to do that. This wasn't like Jericho and Ai that God said, just completely destroy it, destroy everything. God didn't say that for these cities. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter six, in verse ten, uh, this is when Moses was still in the scene, it says, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee a great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not. And wells dig, which thou it's not, and vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou should have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So uh, that's why that's mentioned there, because um, while some of the previous cities, they completely wiped out because God didn't even want the memory of those ones around, these ones, that wasn't the case. God let them keep these cities, and they were able to go take them over, and then Already built houses, ready to go. They could just move in. That would be that would be pretty nice. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just take over a community and then just go, you know, go to the rich neighborhood, run them all out? Nah, we don't want to do that. But there would be some financial benefit to it. But I'm glad we're not doing that in this country right now. I do believe in property rights. But verse 14 says, "...in the spoil of these cities and the cattle, the children of Israel, took for a prey unto themselves. But every man they smote with the edge of the sword..." "...until they had destroyed them, neither left they any to breathe. So while they kept the cities, the people, they all had to go, all of them. "...as the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so, at, and so did Joshua." Look at this. "...he left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses." Now, keep that verse in mind, too, because I have preached something from this chapter before that I did not get completely right. And I'm going to blame other Baptist preachers because I'd heard them say it before and I just repeated it. Uh, but uh, at, at the same time, you know, we're going to we're going to get it corrected this time because we didn't proof text. You know, we had to study the whole chapter. But uh, notice Joshua not leaving anything undone. He's getting the job done. Complete obedience. We keep seeing that mentioned throughout these chapters. Joshua is doing what God said to do. And so keep that in mind. So verse 16 says, so Joshua took all the land the hills in the south country and all the land of Goshen and the valley and the plain and the mountains of Israel and the valley of the same, even from Mount Halak that goeth up to Seir, even unto Belgad and the valley of Lebanon under Mount Hermon and all their kings he took and smote them and slew them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. So whenever we're reading this, you know, we're reading you know, in a matter of minutes about how they're just you know, defeating city after city after city after city. But did you all understand that that took time, and it still wore them out? I mean, imagine fighting that many battles. And the, and the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how long uh, it took to fight all those battles, but folks, they had to wear these people out. You know what, pretty soon you're just going to say, you know what, can we just get a break? You ever want to just get a break from fighting? Sometimes I feel like that spiritually were always fighting battles you know can we just take a break and can we just let this heretic go you know I mean do, do, you know do we have do we have to take off the heads of everybody I you know just that's how you feel sometimes but and I'm sure they felt this way but I'm here today to tell you though they did what God told them to do they killed everyone that they were supposed to kill and so but they did have to be tired so verse 19 says There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All other, they took in battle. And that was the people who deceived them. Everyone else, they fought them and they died, except the Gibeonites. Now watch, now why was that? How could these people be so stupid? After all the battles that Israel's won, why in the world would they even try to fight? And here's why. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, just like God did Pharaoh. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Because God wanted to destroy Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh was—he was—he was done. He crossed the line. Says so that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. So, listen—we've we, got to remember. God does harden hearts sometimes, and God sometimes hardens the hearts of individuals. Okay? Now, this is nations right here. Okay? This is not individuals. This is nations. God's hardening their heart. But understand, all the individuals died in these situations. But God does harden the hearts of individuals sometimes, too. And those are people that we would call reprobate. And I'm not going to teach that. You all know that. But here's what we've got to understand. You know, whenever we bring that up, you know, people will just, they'll start quoting, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we agree with that. But at the end of the day, because you know, any who will repent will be saved. Any who believes, they will be saved. But there comes a point where God no longer wants you to repent. God did not want these people to repent. Not anymore. Yeah, one time he probably did, but they didn't. And so God says, I don't, I don't want them to repent. And you know what he did? He killed them. He hardened their heart. And so, you know, and why even point this out? But I think it's because I think it's important to point these things out because it shows the mind and the ways of God. And it is often a lack of understanding about the character of God that makes people doubt the reprobate doctrine. And it's like, listen, the reprobate doctrine doesn't just come from Romans one. It's all throughout the Bible. We see this type of thing. We see it in Exodus with Pharaoh. We see it here in Joshua with these nations Where God is literally hardening their heart to destroy them. I mean, so this is not you know something that's just foreign in the Bible. This is a very common thing that we see throughout the scriptures. It's not with everybody. And you know what? God doesn't always tell us why. But at the same time, we can kind of get a rough idea why the Canaanites were reprobate like this, because doesn't it tell us in places like Leviticus 18 the type of things they were doing. And God said, yeah, "I'm gonna." the land vomited out the inhabitants, and if you do those things, I'm coming after you too. And we see things that are mentioned in Romans 1 also. So, uh, you know, people who you know, struggle with this, I think they just fail to read a lot of the Bible. And it's probably because they're going to a church where they only give the fluffy marshmallow stuff. And they never, they never give any of the, you know, little more unpleasant truths of the Scripture. But, you know, we preach through the whole Bible here. And you know what? It's hard to preach through Joshua and to see all this and to not say, what's going on here? Why are they wiping out these entire villages? Why aren't, why aren't they giving these people a chance? I mean, with the, the Gibeonites, as misguided as they were, they found mercy. What about all these other nations? Because God didn't want them to. It, Bible flat out tells us, God hardened their hearts. So he could destroy them. Well, you know, I, what, what would make God do that? Well, go read what God said that they were doing in the writings of Moses. And then all of a sudden, you're going to go to Romans 1, and you're going to say, like, you know what? This seems pretty consistent. You know, I, th- I, think, I think I get this now. Uh, but that's why whole Bible. We want to preach you the whole Bible. Joshua eleven twenty one At that time came Joshua. And cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Deber, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. These are the giants, the Anakims. They are the giants. They were the ones they were originally scared of. Joshua was utterly destroying them. It says, There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and, and Ashdod there remained. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes and the land rested from war. And so Israel finally gets a break from fighting battles. They finally after just battle after battle they're able to tell the people alright you know no wars for a while. Okay. Now here's the thing were all the Canaanites gone? No they were not. All the Canaanites were not gone. In fact, uh, look at chapter 13 of Joshua in verse 1. It says, Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. This is the land that remaineth all the borders of the Philistines and of Geshurai. Now, I hate ever admitting any mistakes, okay? But, you know... I'm preaching through this whole thing. There's YouTube, you know, so it's out there. So, I'll, you know, at least I'll just, I'll just admit it. But, you know, what? I, but I, I got my excuse. Okay. What I always heard is, you know what? Joshua should have just fought a little bit longer. Because, and 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 a while back when I preached the, me- I preached a series of messages on, um, I forgot what it was about. Challenges in the Promised Land. And, and uh, one of them that I did was on avoiding uh, fighting battles was one of them. And, you know, and obviously the, you know, the, the basic concept of the message was good, but when I started out that message, I went and I showed you these three places where the Anakims were not destroyed, and all of these cities were ones Israel had problems with later. But, so let, let's go ahead and take a look at that again. This is where worth seeing, but let me show you where we went wrong. And where, when you actually preach it right, there's an even better message. That's typically the way the Bible works, okay? If if, if you get it right, it's even better. Now, I've heard some people misuse the Bible, and what they said preached pretty good. (laughs) But it's better if if you get it right. So, in Judges 16, because the first city it mentions was Gaza, and it says in Judges 16, Then went Samson to Gaza, and saw there in Harlot, And went in unto her, but the Philistines took. And then in verse 21 it says, "But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with feathers of brass and he did grind, grind in the prison house." In Judges we read about a bunch of problems that they had with the Philistines in Gaza. Now think about. Now notice that was what was left. That was mentioned. Israel had a lot of problems because of the Philistines in Gaza. You know, if they'd all been wiped out then, well, then we wouldn't have had those problems later, right? We wouldn't have had the thing with Samson. Gath was one of the cities mentioned. Does anybody know a famous Philistine from Gath? Goliath, right? Goliath of Gath. That's where he came from. Israel was scared to death, was being intimidated by those Philistines and by Goliath himself for a long time because of Gath. You know, if they'd have taken him out back then, you know, if Joshua had just fought a little bit longer then they would have never had to worry about that. We see Ashdod that's mentioned in First Samuel chapter 5. It says in the Philistines, verse 1, took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it to the house of Dagon, and they set it before Dagon. You all know that story. That's when uh, you know, the statue fell over, and you, you, know, you all know how that goes. But all these battles that they had, or all these groups that were left, they had major battles with them years later, and that's why we don't want to avoid battles. But here's the thing. All right? Here, here's what the mistake was. Okay? It wasn't Joshua that avoided the battle. Okay? It wasn't jo- Joshua didn't need to fight longer. Joshua did do everything God wanted him to do. The one who was disobedient, it was Israel. It was not for Joshua to do it during that time, and I'm going to show you why. It was for the next generation. It was not God's will for Joshua to take out Gath and Ashdod. And, and God, it, was not God's, it was not God's will for him to take them out. That was for the next generation to, to do. But you know what? The next generation, they didn't follow God like Joshua did. So, if I ever preach that again, I've got to make sure I get it right that you know Israel messed up. Jo- but not Joshua. Joshua, he did. Joshua was obedient. Joshua did. What God wanted him to do, we need to make sure he gets full credit because he definitely, definitely deserves it. And so, uh, in Nehemiah also, in Nehemiah chapter 13, this is another famous uh, passage here. So this is hundreds and hundreds of years later, and this is towards, this is getting close to the end of the Old Testament, uh, you know, that we have recorded. Uh, this is after the Babylonian captivity. I mean, this is way out there in the future. In verse 23, it says, "In those days." also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons for yourselves. And uh, and that's the story, too, where everybody pulled their hair out and they tried to figure out what to do because then they had like the mass divorces going on then. It's like, oh, I, I, thought, I, thought we were supposed to, I thought divorce was always bad. And it's like, listen, that's just what they did. But here's the thing, that never should have happened. If Israel, yes, Israel getting all these divorces was bad, but you know, Israel never would have had those divorces if Israel would have taken out Ashdod like they were supposed to. These people had no business even being in the land. And, there, and the thing is, when you disobey God in one area, you know what it usually does? It causes you to disobey God in another area too. You know, you're, you never just get to do one sin and then that's just it. No, usually you do one thing wrong, it's going to lead to something else that's wrong, something else that's wrong, and before you know it, you just have a mess. And a lot of times people, they find themselves in that mess and there just seems like there's no good solution. You know, what are we supposed to do? But you know, the truth is, You know, sometimes this sin that you're about to do, it's because of 14 other sins you've already done, you got, there is no win-win situation at this point. That's just what happens when you get in that deep. And then, you know, as Baptists, we pick the sin we don't like the most, and we just focus on that one, and then, you know, let them have it, you know, and have no grace and mercy. That's typically how this thing goes. But, you know, we we need to understand some people are just in a mess. We need to try to help people out. But... Uh, that's a sermon for another day. But it was not for Joshua to fight these battles. It was God's plan, it was not God's plan. It was never God's plan for Joshua's generation to do all the fighting. Look what it says in Exodus chapter twenty three. because we saw here in chapter eleven, Joshua did everything God told him to do. But here in chapter twenty exodus twenty three, Verse 27 says, I will send my fear before thee and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee and I will send hornets before thee which shall drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out before thee in one year lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out before thee until thou be increased And inherit the land. So understand, it was not God's plan. It would not have worked out real well to just completely get rid of all of them at once. They needed time to get established in the land, and they still needed to grow as a people. There was a big enough land that they weren't ready when they first went in there to just take over all the cities. And you know what? God wanted these cities being there for them and, and being good, so it was like God was going to let some of these people stay there a little bit longer to kind of take care of things for them. So when Israel grew and when they were ready to expand and go and get that land, then they could go and get it and then take it over as is. So um, so yes, there were people left. There were places like Gap that did not get utterly destroyed, but it was not God's will at that time for those cities to be destroyed so we see no failure when it comes to joshua we see only success when it comes to joshua he did everything he was supposed to do now the failure came uh, the failure uh you know when it came to the remaining Anakims, it said it was not on joshua but it was on the next generation it was on israel as a nation because later on, it's still the same nation. It's a new generation of people, but it's still the same nation. It's still God's people. And that generation was not completely obedient. And we're not going to take time to read it. But if you were to go to Judges chapter 1, you know, uh, you'll see that. Well, let's go ahead and turn over there. I want, to, I want to point this out to you. Because, you know, Joshua, the book of Joshua really ends on a high note. I mean, it ends with them talking about how. The people followed the Lord all the days of Joshua and all of the elders that outlived Joshua. While Joshua's people were around, Israel followed the Lord. But then in chapter 1 of Judges, it says now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And then we see them going and fighting battles. Uh, they get with You know, some of the other tribes to go fight, but Judah's going to be the tribe that's kind of leading things. But then if you go and you start reading it, uh, basically uh, towards the end of the chapter, it just names all these cities. And and like, so we'll start in verse 29, we kind of hit a random one. It says, Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Neholom. But the Canaanites, well, among them became tributaries. And it just goes and it's naming all these cities. And you know what it says? They didn't drive them all out. They didn't utterly destroy them. They became tributaries. You know what, you know what the next generation did? They compromised a little bit. The next generation probably, because just like God said, God, God told them, you know, to make sure when it comes to the Word of God, you write these things down, you talk about them with your children while you're in your house, while you're lying down, while you walk by the way. If you don't, what's going to happen, you're going to go into these this land, you're going to live in houses that you didn't build, you're going to have fields and vineyards that you didn't plant, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to eat, you're going to be full, and then you're going to forget me. And that's what happened. This next generation, they were basically like these pathetic, lazy millennials that never had to work in their life, and what did they do? They sat there, on easy street, didn't have to work hard. Mom and dad took care of them. Mom and dad fed them. They're all fat and lazy and good for nothing. Played video games all day growing up. Mom and dad never made them work hard on anything. And then all of a sudden, these millennials are now in charge. And they're like, "Man, we got battles to fight." Well, man, you know, I don't want to fight these guys. I mean, I know we gonna outnumbered everything, but you know, I don't want to get blood on my skinny jeans. You know, I don't want to. Have, I don't want to break a nail. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. And so you know what they do? They start cutting deals with them. You know, they run off some of them, but they, they leave some to be tributaries. Hey, we're so pathetic and lazy. If you will work for us, we'll let you stay. That wasn't what they were supposed to do. The next generation was supposed to fight them. And listen, here, here's, here's the camp meeting message right here. Okay? We can't live off the last generation. Our generation has battles that we have to fight. The our generation has battles that we have to fight that the previous generation did not have to fight. And let me tell you something, I'm not you know, I'm not mad at Joshua for not be defeating Gath. It wasn't God's will. It wasn't time. It didn't need to be done then. It was the next generation that needed to do that. And you know what? I'm not mad at the previous generation for preaching for not preaching the reprobate doctrine like we do today. The previous generation didn't have the problems like we're having with the homos today. It just, it wasn't really, it didn't register with them. It really wasn't on their radar like it is today. Oh, you know, they should have prepared us. They should have seen this coming. Well, actually, some of them did. And some of them did preach pretty hard on this thing. But at the end of the day, you know, the responsibility is on this generation to make sure we're doing it right. You know what? This is a battle that we need to fight right now. This stuff's going on in our day. This, stuff's be, this stuff is being pushed and shoved down people's throats in our day. You know what? This is our giant to fight. And I'm thankful for all the giants that the previous generation defeated. I'm thankful for that. But you know what? I'm not. We, we don't need to keep going and digging up their old giants and defeating them. They already took care of those things. We've got some things that we need to face today. You know what giant that we're going to have to face in this generation that the previous generation didn't have to? It might be our own government. It might be our own country. It might be time... To take down the flags, it might be time to take down the idols. It might be time to stop doing all the rah-rah America stuff in church and say, you know what? Because these people that are, you know represent our nation, represent our government, are becoming a huge thorn in our side. They're becoming a huge pain in the neck when they're telling churches that they can't meet, when they're t- you know telling them whether you're essential or not, when they're trying to you know limit capacities, and when they're trying to tell us what we can do, trying to tell churches that they can't sing. In church, When they're trying to do these things, when they're trying to censor our message, when they're trying to do these things, folks, that's a battle that the previous generation didn't have to fight, but you better believe it's one that we've got to fight today. You know, I'm not that mad that they didn't preach messages about that 30, 40 years ago. They didn't really need to, but you know what? That's a giant that's in our generation today, and you know what? We better be ready to go after it. We better be ready to fight it. And there are many things like that that we've got to understand. It's up every generation we've got to follow God. Every generation, we've got to see what's going on. We've got to be aware. We have to walk circumspectly. We have to see what Satan's doing. We can't be ignorant of his devices. And we've got too many people, even younger generation that are literally just trying to copy everything from the previous generation. But folks, we've got new issues today. We've got new challenges. The previous generation didn't, you know, wasn't dealing with transgender stuff they, they weren't dealing with that kind of thing like we are today Say, so, well you know it all started back when they you know didn't preach about women wearing pants and that started the cross-dressing look we're at today okay i mean listen there's there's no doubt it didn't just happen overnight and it was a slow compromise thing okay you know i i, I get that all right i get that I, i'm i'm still not mad at them but they just didn't defeat these things you know, set all these things in stone for us. I'm not mad at them, but here's the thing. Why can't we do that today? Why can't we preach about that today? You know, I shouldn't have to go, you know, I, I, you know, it's like some guys, they're not going to preach something unless they can go to the commentaries of the old timers. But you know what? You're probably not going to find much for Spurge, from Spurgeon on transgenders. <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing he probably didn't preach about that a whole lot back in his day. You know, these, these pansy reformer types. If, and, you know, and what are, you know, they're not, you know, I, I've challenged these guys. Hey, show me a message of you guys preaching against being effeminate. I mean, that's a sin that's mentioned in the Bible. That's a sin that's specifically mentioned in the Bible. Now, what does that look like today? But they don't know how to do it because their way of preaching things and studying is reading commentaries by dead guys. Well, you know what? I don't know what it looked like being effeminate back in the 1800s, but I'll bet it didn't look like it did today. You think guys were wearing dresses in the 1800s? You think they were doing the things they are doing? today? You think guys were going to get a manicure? So you can't show me in the Bible where a guy can't go get a manicure. Okay? But I can show you in the Bible where it's bad to be effeminate. Well, you can't define that from the Bible. Listen, I, I, I promise, whoever you like from the past... They would have been against this stuff. (laughs) And you know what? Who cares they didn't say anything about it? This is a giant for our generation. And we are going to go after these things. We are going to go after these people. We're going to fight this stuff. The previous generation didn't have to worry about preaching against homos coming to their church. and stuff. They, They didn't have to do that. It wasn't a concern. Nobody expected it. No homo thought that they could get away with doing that. But we have to face that today. This is a giant for our generation. And you know what? We don't need to blame the previous generation for the giants that we have to face today. You know what? They stood strong. They did what they needed to do. We're here today because of them. But you know what? They're gone. We're here. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to do what we need to get done. I wish they would have defeated some of the giants in the previous generations when it came to just false doctrine that came in through dispensationalism and uh, a lot of the Bible prophecy, stupidity and stuff. They didn't get that done. But you know what? Make, God wants our generation to get it done. And you know what? We're going to get it done. We're going to fight it. And, you know, the old timers, they can stand there. We never worried about fighting those things. You know, they ne- we never preached about Hey, thank you for the giants that you killed. But we're going after the giants of our generation That's what we're going to focus on. We're not going to get stuck in the past. That is not what we need to do. So some great lessons that we can learn from this passage. And, you know, it wasn't Joshua's fault. Joshua obeyed the Lord. It was the next generation. They stunk. Let me tell you, I'm embarrassed by my generation. I am. My generation is not doing very well. It reminds me of Judges. And you know what? It didn't turn out too good. In Judges but we can we can make a difference and we can be an exception and there were many exceptions in judges And i'm thankful for that and they had some revivals And I believe we can have one so with that let's pray dear lord I thank you for this chapter. I thank you for the example of joshua and all the wonderful things that uh, He accomplished I pray help us to uh, follow his example as a church. I pray you'll help us lord to uh, face these giants that um, Are in our generation today and that we will uh, just follow You, look to You. Lord, help us not to just try to uh, copy off things from the past, but help us to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in Your Word, to the best of our ability. In Your name we pray. Amen.